Hello and welcome to It's More Than Money. It's More Than Money has a focus to bring you inspiring stories from real people who strive to improve every day. People who aren't willing to settle for the status quo, they've shaken off any limiting beliefs they might have had and they've just gone after what they really want in life. We'll have all kinds of guests, we'll have business owners, entrepreneurs, masters of the mind, industry game changers and money experts who will all, through their own stories, provide invaluable insights into creating a life you never thought possible. Hello, everybody, and welcome to It's More Than Money podcast. We have an awesome guest on today and particularly focused around business owners. There's a lot of gold nuggets are going to come out of our episode today with Juliana Marulanda. There's a bit of a rhythm to that, and we'll speak with Juliana very soon. And Juliana is a business operations expert, speaker, and the founder of Scale Time. So Juliana's had over 18 years of experience across Wall Street, the nonprofit sector, technology startups, family-owned businesses, you name it, and Juliana has now served over 200-plus digital agencies. Being featured on Forbes and Entrepreneur, Juliana helps up-level businesses into lean, mean, profitable machines. Now, if we're a business owner, that's music to our ears. Now, hi, Juliana. How are you? Thank you for being on. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate meeting you digitally across the pond. (laughs) (laughs) Technology these days, beautiful thing. Connect anywhere, doesn't it? You want to kick off today, uh, I think, what is quite topical in business right now, given the pandemic? What are you seeing and how are you helping? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that's that's really interesting in this, I'm going to say almost post-pandemic world, right? Um, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) On where you're at, right, geographically and um, (laughs) physically. Um, So businesses, um, it's really fun, right? So so I've been helping businesses with skill time. um, and, And one of the reasons why I wanted to work with digital agencies in particular was because back in 2015, you know, six years ago, um, like they were really on the vanguard of this sort of hybrid model, right? Um, hybrid location, hybrid organization, hybrid, um, you know, types of of employees, whether they were full-time, part-time, contract, okay. um, white label, co-label, right? Like there's all these different types. And, and you know, and the work was, um, was global, right? Yeah. And so it's, it's really fascinating because it was, it was like, okay, how do we get systems and processes to work cross-functionally in these hybrid and flexible models, right? Across organizations and across the globe. Okay. And so fast forward, right? In this almost post-pandemic <laughs> um, world, right? In business, what's happening now is, right? People are going back into their groups. So so everyone during lockdown had to learn how to, you know, use Zoom um, and mm. how to you know, have meetings digitally and that connection. Um, And so now um, I think that there's been more choice than ever before um, from both an employer standpoint, but also an employee standpoint. And so what we're seeing is these trends of people saying, well, you know what? I don't necessarily want to go back to the office. I don't necessarily want to completely divide my work and home life, right? So I think before the mm-hmm. pandemic, there was there was so much conversations around like work-life balance. I had always spoken to the fact that like um, balance doesn't exist; it's a myth, um, yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah, and yeah. and it's more, and especially for entrepreneurs, like how do we find more work-life harmony, right? Like mm. like how do we make things flow in together? And 
And I think during I the pandemic, concept. it was yeah. it was more a work life cacophony. Um, cacophony. Now I have not yeah. heard of that word. <laughs> okay. like, like there wasn't much harmony whatsoever. Because people were like, okay, ah! we've learned something really early today. Well, at least I have cacophony. <laughs> okay. Nothing to do with coffee. No, so ah. it's just like it's a horrible sound, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so instead of harmony, right, this harmonious musical, like it, it was just, ah. um, it was so bad because we were like, oh my god, my kids are home, I don't know what to do. Mm, um, yeah. I am now co-working with my spouse. Um, <laughs> like I'm gonna kill my parents. It was just a lot of challenges. And so, but now people have kind of like figured it out, right? Because because we've had um, almost like 16 months to figure it out. Mm. Um, and and so there's there's this choice that's happening um, for employees, which is actually making at least in the U.S. You can let me know what's going on in Australia. Mm. Um, in the U.S., it really it's an employees market, which is totally weird, right? Especially mm. when you're kind of coming out of economic distress. Usually, it's an employers market because they're like, oh, there's this huge talent pool that we can grab from. Mm. But people, because they have so much choice, they're looking for things that mm. are much more value based yeah. um, and, and a lot more flexibility based and a lot mm. more. How does, you know, this job or how does this work affect how I want to live in my lifestyle? So so it's a really fascinating thing that's happening um, from the employee employer standpoint you know, how organizations are working because not everyone wants to go back into the office. And from employers are like, you know what? I gave up that lease or like I subletted that lease and now I'm out. And so now they're seeing the profitability go way up because they're not tethered to locations, right? So, so there's a thing that's happening there where before rent was such a huge amount of overhead mm -hmm. and now it wasn't. And so it's like, huh, how do we do this? Um, and there's also sort of the race of the project managers, right? So like Asana got a bunch of, um, I think Teamwork got funding, ClickUp got funding, um, and, and we're talking about like hundreds of millions of dollars in funding to make productivity higher, mm -hmm. especially as groups are going in this hybrid model. So I think in terms of trend, we're just seeing um, the future of work, quote unquote, um, happening in the present and, and mm. how organizations are recreating themselves um, and, and the relationships between employees and employers um, have shifted. And exactly on that note, what have you seen? So there's a lot of businesses and, and people in general who are being forced to adapt and change in one way or another. So when it comes to businesses, what sets a successful business apart from those that aren't so successful? What are I guess, one or two things that you see most commonly? So in the beginning of the pandemic, I don't know if um, if you guys got this right, but there was a lot of um, conversation um, and literature um, blogging, right? Like, like there was just a lot of thought leadership around the idea of pivoting, mm. right? Um, and and I think it's it's not so much the pivot that's important. I think it's the decision making, right? Mm. Like your rate of decision making. How quickly can you um, see, analyze? and be able to make a decision as a leader to affect either change, positivity, growth, pivot, right? Like, like whatever that is. So I think that is a huge component um, that, that really allowed people to drive success um, was quick decision-making. Yeah. Um, I think the other piece was really understanding how to manage resources. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So um, whether we're talking about technology or people or partnerships, right, like how to manage those resources um, was a huge driver of success um, for people that did it effectively and those who did not. So there's two things that stood out for me there. One is the people element and two is the, the positivity. They go hand in hand to me where a leader, where an owner a director, CEO, whatever title we want to give them, where they're looking to make decisions quickly, they need to have the people on board. So that comes back to the culture that's been instilled in the business and how much trust or how much faith or even right down to something very simple is how much do the staff actually like the culture of the business and the culture comes from above. So how much do they actually like the CEO or the board that's instilling that culture through all the people that work within that business. So you spoke about resources, you spoke about change. How important and what do you see in a business and from leaders to instill such a culture where the team come together and they move as one as opposed to having issues with fractions and segmentations where it goes a bit awry? I'm going to pick up one word and kind of break it apart, right? Yeah. So I don't necessarily think people have to like their leaders. Yeah. Um, and I know that sounds odd, right? Um, and it's not that like, you know, we dislike our leaders, so we stick around, right? So, so that's not what I'm saying. Um, no, but but another, like, I think people have to be aligned with their leaders, right? I, I think that there's an alignment um, and a commitment, right? So, so if we're talking about top down, you know, most people will stay in an organization, um, even if it's not paying them as well as another organization, because they're aligned to the mission, they're aligned to the goals. Um, they so they have, buy into that that goal. They buy into yeah, that. Yeah, they yeah. that yeah right. And and they're and they're buying into the values that are provided by that organization, right? And so so if we take a look at that point of view. Right now, if we want to kind of reverse engineer that and then go top down and say, okay, from a leadership standpoint, I believe that culture is a direct derivative of the values that you have in the business. Right. Um, And so based on your values, how much are you instilling those values across your culture? Right. I mean, how much is leadership right whether it's one leader or multiple leaders like how much are you embodying are in alignment and are consistent with those values that your team actually is aligned with them right because if we are aligned on values and the culture is created from that then you have an organization that can grow exponentially without you having to say, do this or make this decision like that, because the decisions will be based upon the values. This is opening up some really, really cool spots here. I think that, like when you're talking about values, that is what instills, like you said, a culture. That's what instills a sense of teamwork. That's what instills a sense of collaboration. So when it comes to any size business, is it is it imperative to have a set of core values effectively on the wall, or at least known by everyone in that business? And is it important for them to be part of the creation of those values? Yes and no. So I, I'm not a believer in, I don't know, was it like the, the late 90s, early 2000s with mm. like the inspirational quotes around your values and having them. Yeah, so, yeah. so, right. So, I mean, you can do that. Can and be I'm a not little bit cheesy. Anyone, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not going to knock anyone who does it. Right. Um, yep. But but I think that there is something to 
having value be part of your onboarding process, right? Um, when, when you have a new team member and saying like, you know, from, you know, leadership, here are our values, right? And making sure that the values are represented as they're yeah. meeting new team members, right? Making sure that the decisions that are made are are with those values. Um, making, and, and so a great example of this, that just always makes it like really, really clear cut for me. So people who value sustainability, mm-hmm. right? So, so let's say you're in a company and you know, you're, you value sustainability and, you know, and green, um, but you have a new team member and then all of a sudden everything is paper um, and there's a massive carbon footprint and, um, you know, and people don't, care about that you know it's gonna be very different than if you enter an organization um and you know and everyone's wearing like green on their sleeve like figuratively right um and so you know and and people are geeking out on like the latest solar power um and you know and you have the the you know straws that aren't plastic and you've gone you know to lower your waste and you lower your footprint like your values are being represented and not mm. just spoken about, right? They're not just on the wall hanging. And so that's really where you get to start making decisions as leadership around the values and how the decisions that you make in the organization represent those values. So when someone enters and they're new, um, they're immersed in your values. Your people are immersed in your values. Um, and, and that's represented whether it's, in written form, whether it's in verbal form, whether it's just, you know, how people are being. Mm-hmm. Now, you asked the secondary question, which was, how do we, um, are people a part of that conversation of values? And, and I think for a lot of business owners, I think the people are sort of representative of those values. Um, but the the values really come from the founder and the founding team. So I think that it's extremely important from the very beginning um, to get related to what your values are. Um, and it's usually one of those annoying business exercises that you have to do at the beginning. <laughs> it's like, what are my values? And why are these marketing people having me do my values, <laughs> right? Like, or yeah. like, why is my coach having me do my And because your, your decisions are gonna stem from there mm-hmm. um and and it's it's gonna affect you know at the very beginning it'll affect your branding mm-hmm. um it will affect your your tone of voice and how you communicate with um clients and with you know um it's gonna affect like your hires like who your first hires are um if you're hiring based on not only skill set but values as well and then those individuals are then going to start to create this catalyst for what your culture is going to look like and represent it and i wanted to ask that actually so where your business it's all about scaling up and you help businesses scale up now when people are in business they're generally in there for that very very thing which is growth evolvement and becoming bigger and better each and every year. So when it comes to hiring the right people to have the right people in the right seats, how do they screen those values? How do that, the new employee that may be coming in or they're looking to recruit, how would an employer, a business owner, how would they ensure that the new employee to come in aligns with the values of the business? So for any position, 
right? Um, usually when we explain to our clients, like, okay, here's your hiring process. Um, there's usually a screening, you know, from the super junior to top leadership, right? Um, there's, there's usually some kind of screening process. There's a trial process. Um, and then there's, I mean, I don't want to say like a probationary period, but there's, there's a period of like, Hey, let's see if this works for you and it works for me. And if it does, then let's, you know, put a ring on it. Right. So, <laughs> um, and, and that could be like a super <laughs> junior position or a leadership position. Yeah. Um, yeah. because that gives you autonomy and agency in the entire part of the process. And it allows you, you know, as the old adage says, um, hire slow and fire fast. Um, and it really gets you to see does the person, right, does this individual actually walk the walk, right? Because a lot of people can talk the talk, right? Yes, and they're like, yes. my values are this. I read your website. I know your values. I'm going to lie about it, right? Um, but can they actually <laughs> um, do that, right? Yeah. Um, so so I think it starts off in in the recruiting process. You know, are you asking the questions where you are going to grab, you know, people's values, yeah, right? Yeah. So. And I'll give you an example of this, right? For us, integrity and transparency is really big. Um, and one of the questions that I ask every single person, it doesn't matter how you know up the chain they are, is what have you done in the past when you've missed a deadline? Yep. Right? Now, everyone has missed a deadline, right? Mm. So if you tell me that you've never missed a deadline, you're automatically disqualified. I'm like, I call bullshit, right? <laughs> like that's that's not real. Um, and now that's a strike against the value of honesty. <laughs> exactly, right? I'm like, nah. Or accountability. Um, yeah. And and I and I have people like I've never met. I'm like, no, right? So so that's one. <laughs> Two, like you know, I how they respond is very telling around like what their behavior is around integrity, right? Like, are they proactive about it? Are they reactive about it? Are they taking ownership? Mm. Right. And so like that tiny question gives me so much yeah. information around a person's value set, not only on their integrity, but their transparency, which is huge for us. So it's important then uh, as a business owner, when they're going through the hiring process, as you said, and I'm sure many business owners have seen that, that phrase or that quote, which is hire slow, fire fast. Mm -hmm. The hiring slow component is ask the right questions so you can then get a really, really good read or really good insight into whether that person you're about to hire or that person you're interviewing is aligned with the values of the business, which ultimately means the culture of the business. Would that be right? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. then, you know, and then we do it at every step of the process. Mm. You know, when, when we're doing trials, I, I do something, I call it the wrench. Um, and so wrench. the wrench. Sounds um, brutal. <laughs> I don't think it's brutal. I mean, maybe I don't know. Um, so the wrench is—I don't know if it's it's an if it's an American thing, but you know, it's kind of like ah, oh, there's a wrench in this, um, like like there's a wrench in the issue, right? Or like there's right. like ah, oh, like someone threw a wrench in that, oh, meaning yeah, that yeah. like something was working, yeah. and then all of a sudden, click 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 click, right? And like yeah. the thing starts to you know, um, yeah. and so for me, it's really important to find people who can problem solve, right? Because we're we're still a small business, we're growing, we're very agile. Um, and we need people who are proactive, who mm -hmm. can problem solve. And in a lot of the clients that we serve, it's the same thing, right? It's kind of like, oh man, like, you know, like we need people to come with us with solutions, not just problems. Yes, right? yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and so in the trial process, we throw in the wrench. Now the wrench looks like we, we set up a scope, 
right? And and I don't know if your clients ever do this or anybody's clients ever do this. Um, there's a last minute request. There's a crunch in mm. deadline. There's mm. right, like like there's all these things that happen, right? And so what happens in the trial process is that we mimic the real life situation, right? Yeah. It's kind of like this is what we've got going on, and then let's throw in something and see how the candidates react, right? Yeah, okay. Do, do they ghost? Sometimes they do. <laughs> they just, <laughs> they've just gone missing. <laughs> yes. Um, and, and that kind of deals with um, filtering out people who are unreliable. Do they, do they throw a fit? Do they make excuses? Um, do they communicate? Are they proactive? Do they get it done and just grind it out? Mm. Do they ask for more money? Yeah. Okay. Right? So, and there's, now a we, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of signals. Yeah. And so yeah. like now we see how do people problem solve with real life situations that are happening in your business. Mm. So it's really important then that business owners are paying attention. We see, and everyone has a different style. They bring their own style into their business and their mm -hmm. business is ultimately an extension of themselves. So how Absolutely. that business running is, is often, I see it like a mirror. It's a mirror mm -hmm. of the owner. And if the owner is a little bit chaotic or inconsistent, then the business is going to be very much the same and the staff are going to be reflecting that as well in their behaviours and the way they operate on a day-to-day -day basis. So when it comes to the owner's role and exactly what you're talking about, how, and it would vary from business to business, I get that. And if there's a couple of different angles you can give us, that'd be awesome. But what is the role of the business owner when it comes to, I guess, become being aware or... Uh, watching or seeing what's actually going on in the business to ensure that culture and those values are being adhered to? Like how much time in the business or do they hire people to sort of watch and monitor that culture? So there's an onerous on the owner to make sure that the culture can outlive them. Um, okay. And what I mean by that is like, um, you know that there is good culture when the business is managing itself the way you would like and you're not there. Um, I feel like your absence speaks way more volume than your presence sometimes. Um, yeah, I like that. Yeah, okay. Mm. Right, and so- It's like so the kids if, that are left at home by themselves. Exactly, right? <laughs> you come home it's and the like, house is okay or it's been destroyed. <laughs> exactly, you know, it's like, I mean, and, and that's a real quick temperature gauge of like yeah, what you've yeah. done and, and create it, right? When you're not there. Um, it's, it's like, I love it when, um, when my clients go on vacation because mm. well, one, they really do. So yay, kudos to them. Right. That's a big win. Um, and yes. two, when, when they do that, it, it's a stress test on the business. What are they freaking out about? You know, like, oh my God, like, is it their reputation? Is it this? Is it delivery? Is it right? Like all these different things. Um, like what, it, like, cause that, that's going to tell you what they need to fix. Right. Like, like, okay, mm, this, mm. this isn't as dialed in as you want it to be. Um, which is why so often people don't take vacation, which is insane. You know, is it like their leadership staff? Do they trust their leadership staff? Staff, yeah. <laughs> right? Like there's all these things. And, yeah. and yeah. a lot of owners, right? Like there's, there's a lot of owners and founders who are visionaries. Mm. Right. They're not people who are like there in the weeds who like want to know every nook and cranny of yeah. the business. Right? Like they want to be selling. They want to be out there. They want to be growing the business. But there is a necessity to have visibility. Yeah. Right. And, and you need visibility. Um, and visibility is going to come from um, your metrics and your numbers. Right. Mm. Um, and being able to measure the performance of the business. 
right? Is and it, and that's a very quantifiable. Yeah, yeah. Is it, is it important for the business owner to be visible to employees as well? Have you seen that to be more effective than a business owner that's never really seen? I think it depends on the size of the business yeah, and the okay. role of the owner. Yeah, okay. Right? So meaning like if you're small um, and you are the only manager and you're never around, it's going to be a problem, <laughs> right? Like if you are big and and you have direct reports and you're not around for some employees, but you are for your direct reports, that's fine. Um, I, I think from a cultural standpoint, it's important for people to understand the vision of the owner. Yeah, I, I think the vision is more important than the actual owner once you get to a certain size. Okay, yeah, because you know employees want to be part of the growth of the company. Right. And if we don't know where the company is going, then we have no idea where we are going. Okay. Well, let's talk about an owner that wants to get involved so much, but actually causes more disruption than good. So how do you help? Tasmanian owner. I think we will be there in one way or another. So there's this concept, I guess, of staying in your lane. How would Mm -hmm. you help a business owner? And it could be, let's say, even a husband and wife running a business. It could be two buddies, whatever it may be. How do you sort of, I guess... Work around that conversation to say, Kai, you're being a real asshole in parts of this business. We need you to step back and we need you to stay in this lane. How do you sort of get around that ego play and, and get it to change for the better? So there's there's a few components here, right? So usually people are assholes <laughs> or not, right? Or bottlenecks or, yeah. you know, um, when they don't trust what's happening. Right. So it's, it's that element that they need to feel to have the control over everything. Yes. And so, and control is not power. Okay. Right. And so, yeah. um, so I'm like, okay, you want to be in control of this because you don't trust it or you don't trust them. Right. Yeah. Now, yeah. it is your system, them is your people. Yeah. Right. So, so you either have the wrong people or you have the right people, but you're a little paranoid. Um, <laughs> and you don't have. <laughs> You know, or you don't have a good enough system where you trust the output of it without you in it. You know, and, and there's different forms of delegation, right? First, it's kind of like delegating um, outcomes and deliverables. Um, then you're still QAing, right? Because you still have to quality assure the mm. work to a certain extent, right? Yeah. And then yeah. you get to QA the quality assurance. Yep. Right. I mean, then you get to delegate the quality assurance. Yeah. Um, right. Hopefully, with like someone in a relatively management, you know, role. Right. And then you're like, you know, delegating the decision making around things. Yeah. Right. So so at every level, there's there's a level of trust that needs to be given. So, yeah. I mean, with my clients, it's very simple. Build a good system and a good process that you can plug anyone in yeah. so yeah. that you if innately don't trust the people as much, which a lot of business owners are a little paranoid mm-hmm. um, and they have a little bit of control freakishness. Right. Yeah. yeah. So so I am not going to be like, hey, I need you to change who you are entirely, but I do need you to change how you do things so that you can take a breath. Um, yeah, so yeah. so <laughs> if so and that, if would, that you, would probably go a long way to making sure the life of the business Still, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, like you need to be able to go to sleep and do other things, right? So, so one is if you can trust the system, um, then you can put less trust in the people. And not to say that you don't need good people, right? Because, because you do. But at least you can let it go way faster, right? Because yeah. as long as the quality and the outcome is there, people will tend to let go so much faster. Yeah. Um, 
than than if not right so so that's kind of step one and then step two it's not so much a a like hey you need to be here but it's like what do you want to be doing mm. right like do you really want to be on top of delivery all day long or do you want to be working on sales yeah. right and yeah. if you're on and, and if you have 20 million sales calls on your calendar and you're up to here like and you'd rather be working on vision or partnerships or marketing or higher level stuff like yeah. like what is it and and something's got to give mm. right yeah, yeah. so so if you want to elevate yourself and your time and your role you gotta let go of the other crap yeah yeah and one of the um biggest challenges i've seen in business is that the it's taking the leap it is literally that scaling up where there's a decision to be made do we employ someone whether it be like a manager or a supervisor or a salesperson whatever it might be but the question mark is can we afford to bring this person on so that little leap and it happens through different stages of growth in a business. But overall, there's always a decision to go, can we afford this person? It's almost like a leap of faith. Okay, let's get this person on and let's kind of hope that one, they're affordable, two, they realize their own value, and three, they actually start making money for us or earn their, earn their keep, so to speak, in yeah, one way or another. And, and I think that's definitely at the beginning. And then um, when you start having a team, you know, of like 15 plus people, um, you have to start doing capacity and resourcing forecasting, right? Like mm. it's, um, you know, do, do you have enough capacity? Like where are your people in terms of their capacity? Do you have enough of a pipeline, right? Yeah. Can your yeah. pipeline afford you know, or can your capacity afford your pipeline, right? And and then having these two meet, and then there's a little bit of what is your risk tolerance, right? Like like, do you hire a little earlier? Do you hire a little late? Like you know, and and so yeah. you can get more formulaic with it, as opposed to just you know hope and pray and spray. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound very good just in itself. <laughs> like, so, I don't think we even need to dig into that one. <laughs> pray and so, spray. <laughs> Right. So you're all about not praying and spraying, clearly. Well, I think that we can make data-driven decisions Yeah. along every part of the business maturity growth. Yeah. So there's obviously numbers need to be assessed and culture. What's the culture yeah. and what's the value set within the business mm -hmm. and the employees and is everyone on board effectively? Because you you shared some info just off air in the big, uh, today before we got started. It was a research by Harvard Business School. Now, it was over, looks to be about 11 years, and mm. it found that organizations that focused on shaping their culture outperformed competitors. So revenues were 4.1 times higher. Stock prices were 12.2 times higher. Anyone listening who doesn't have a mm. uh, public stock exchange listed company, who cares? Mm. This is still all relevant. Revenues 4.1, stock price 12.2 times, net income was 756% versus 1%. And return on investment was 15 times higher. To me, this boils down to one thing, just human connection. Have that connection and have everyone connecting. And that's what that's it means in the numbers. That's amazing. It is amazing. Mm. And organizations that invest in their people, um, invest in training, um, mm. invest in the human capital, have higher retention, um, yeah. have happier work staff. Um, the people are more productive. And when the chips are down, people will go to bat. Right? Yeah. You know, they will stick around. Because it would be, it's just a, it's a basic human need to feel connected, to feel acknowledged, to feel valued, to feel like you're wanted. 
So if mm-hmm. all those sorts of things are shown through business, not by just a pay rise or a bonus payment, it's actually through other ways, which is like you said, there's training and it might just be uh, a team day on a Friday or a Saturday. It's all those little things that help create a relationship in a human way versus just a business transaction when it comes flows through from paychecks and bonuses. Yeah, and, and there's a real thing around an individual's sort of work identity, right? Or um, like how they are a productive, quote unquote, member of society, right? Like like yeah. the, the fulfillment they get from the craft that they're doing um, on, a, on a daily basis. And, and if you are part of a culture that you view to be committed to a vision and a mission, mm. and you align yourself with that, right, then you are living into an identity um, where you have fulfillment in the present and in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, and won't dig into it today, but that's where um, a lot of purpose comes in. What's the purpose in what you're doing? And if you can find the people that share your desire and your purpose, then that whole community of employees and the team and the staff and all that, so they're going to move as one. It reminds me of a bit of a school of fish. It might not be the best analogy, but yes, <laughs> or a one. flock of birds. <laughs> flock of birds. <laughs> yes, in a nice formation, the ducks mm-hmm. flying south, all those sorts of things. But that's um, and I really want to uh, bring that up too around that Harvard study because I was just thinking as we're talking a few, talking through a fair few things around values and culture. I could just imagine the odd listener going, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, we've got to be nice to our people, etc." But what does that actually mean for the numbers? I think it was important to really point out that study with Harvard that it was, you know, so business was so much more successful when that culture and when those values were instilled and they're actually, um, I guess, practiced is the best word to use on a day-to-day basis through that business. We may or may not have already answered this question, but in your experience, Juliana, why do businesses plateau at 1 million, 1.3 million and the $7 million mark? There's there's a few things, right? Um, there's a bit of a mindset game that happens yeah. at the very beginning. And then there's also the management of resources um, and systems and processes. And then there's an ability to, you know, also manage your cash and your revenue and your profitability. Yeah. Okay. Right? And so three so, elements? My, my, broadly, I know we're not... Yeah, gonna, broadly, yeah. right? I mean, you know, we I think... New York Times had an article. It was like 10 elements of why, you know, businesses. Um, But I think that there is, um, so I always tell this to people, which is like fun fact. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We're going to have some fun. It can't be all dry numbers and like fun fact. Um, Actually, this is going to be a number and it's going to be a dreadful number. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) um, like, so your take home, Right. When you're around like 250K, so most yep. individual solopreneurs um, will plateau around 250,000. Right. Yep. Maybe with like a contractor, a freelancer here or there to help them. But like as as a singular employer um, or employee, right, you're the yep. only person. Um, so proprietor, you plateau around 250. Right. Let's okay. say USD. That's going to calculate your currencies. Um, <laughs> so, and so what happens at that point is that you're making all the money. Yeah. Right? Like, and so your take home, right? Like your income is the same as your profitability, right? It's just, it just kind of goes into the business and into the bank account. And life is good and life is easy. To get to a million, you have to hire. 
Yeah. Right. Like it's really hard to get to a million without hiring. Yeah. Right. I mean, you, you get close to it with like a digital product, but even there, um, you're hiring some sort of community manager or customer service, um, and marketer. Right. So like, so you still have like, I mean, you could get super profitable, but you're still hiring. Right. Yeah. And so there is, there's a bit of a, there's a bit of a mind fuck that happens. Right. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and you're like, well, do I want to grow? Right. Cause some people grow to like half a mil cause they start hiring and then, and they're like, I'm not making any more money. The business is, but I'm not. And sometimes mm. you're making less money than you were when it was just you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so crossing that million, right. And, and it gets and you're very like, disheartening. Then it's, it's like, like uh. it's like, what the hell? Right. Yeah. And so, and, and the truth of the matter is, is that your profitability and your growth, right. Um, have to be managed. Um, and the way that you manage your resources, um, has to be managed, right? Cause sometimes you're like, oh, I'm going to try this and I'm going to try that. And, and then all yeah. of a sudden, you know, you have like a 40 K month and poof, there goes your money. And you're like, what happened? <laughs> like, I'm sure there's many been there. <laughs> right. And so, you know, to get to that, you're like learning to manage resources. You're learning to manage people. You're learning to manage cash. Mm. Right. And so, so a lot of the times people will plateau and or retreat. They're like, F this, I'm going to go back and like, and make more money than I was when I had these people and the staff and this headache. Yeah. Right. And so there's, um, which is why the numbers, um, and, and I think they're pretty comparable from, from country to country. It's like, like the majority of people don't even cross the million dollar line because there's so much management to be done, right? Whether it's, um, money, I mean, yeah, whether it's money or people or resources, um, and, and it's easier to keep it really, really simple. Right. Mm, yeah, um, yeah. right. And so, so that's one, right. But then for the people who are like, okay, there's, there's this 1.3 plateau. And the reason why it's 1.3 is because people cross the million, right. And they're like, yeah, I did it. Right. Cause that's like, <laughs> like one of those entrepreneurial, like milestones of like, yeah. oh, yes, <laughs> like we survived it. Right. And then they get to the 1.3 and they get stuck. And usually the reason around this is because um, their processes are not scalable. Okay. Right? You can actually get to a million with a really good price point, um, really good referrals, and a really good vision. Um, and, and, and a really good that. culture, I imagine, would help. And then the processes become more important beyond yeah, I mean, yeah. sometimes like even without a very good culture, like I've seen yeah, people yeah. get to a million and it's just vision and sales. Um, <laughs> it's like we're going at it. Um, who cares who we steamroll along the way? I've seen it, and you know, and like things are dysfunctional and yeah. disorganized, yeah. and you know, and I'm like, all right, we gotta play cleanup. Um, but and so then there's like this 1.3 because it's just it's really hard to get to the next level if you don't have scalable repeatable processes um and also if you don't have profitability to reinvest into the business so many people get to that place and we're talking about single digit profits it's very disheartening also mm -hmm. yeah. and and so we've seen it and then then we're like okay um, then to get sort of to this three million you start creating um organizational structure 
right? Because now yeah. it's like, oh, well, do I want a hierarchical? Do I want a flat hierarchy? Do mm. I want a pod, um, you know, organization? What does my organization look like? Because what are people, who are people reporting to? Yeah. Right? Because yeah. now we have to have quality assurance. Um, we have to have training. Um, and training is kind of like, eh, still at the three, right? But people start to say, okay, um, how do we make sure that quality doesn't slip? And now we're, we're, we're adding a layer mm. of sort of management, right? Mm. And so, um, <laughs> You know, and, and there's all the dynamics of like, you know, if you don't train, because if you take someone that's really, really good at doing something, and then all of a sudden you're like, poof, you're a manager, and they've <laughs> never managed before, right? Which happens so much time, like, you know, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and then all of a sudden you're like, why isn't the work getting done? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, because, yeah. you know, because you have to actually invest and mentor um, if you're going to manage from within. And then if you bring someone else from the organization, everyone who's been working there is like, well, what about me, right? And then you have churn. So so there's yeah. all this fun stuff that you have to like now learn in terms of like, how do you manage managers, right? Yeah. And how do you create direct reporting and performance and scorecards and like visibility? And then really scaling past, you know, like the 7 million plateau is now, you know, you start to create these like like little departments, right? And then and they don't have to be two hundred people. Um, usually around then you have maybe around twenty to forty people, right? Like twenty to fifty staff, depending on um your salaries and everything of that nature. Yeah, yeah. And so now you're dealing with um communication, visibility, training, um, and and being able to to have people communicate um, across teams, right? And so, so it all goes back to this ability to be able to manage your cash, your processes, and your people. And it's probably fair to say that the you know when it comes to being a business owner and part of what we're talking about, there there may be an, an impression, for example, that might be oh, this is all, this is all quite hard, and then there's a lot of detail, and and interestingly, one of the uh, it's a bit of a contradiction in some regards. We, we're here to sort of show people, I guess, or explain a few points around how they scale up to ultimately free themselves up out of the business. So they are the owner of the business, but they're not in the trenches every single day. But there is always going to be an element where they need to be in the nitty gritty to at least get to the point they want to, or whether it be to exceed those 1 million, 1.3 and $7 million plateaus, they're going to have to get in the trenches a little bit. But Moving forward, Juliana, how how do you get out of the weeds, for example, and putting out fires every day? How does that sort of – is there a specific point that the, that can come to or is there a specific strategy or a few tips you could provide how a business owner might get there? Yeah, absolutely. So we have a framework. Um, it's the SCALE framework, aptly named. Um, and so, <laughs> Very aptly um, named. So, so the first thing is really like seeing what's happening. Right. Like we yeah. want to see what's actually happening. And, and I know it sounds super simple, but it's um, like who's doing what? Um, you know, do you have tools um, to create transparency or right? like do you do you have a project management tool um, yeah. to see your deliverables? Um, you know, can you actually see what is in the works or are you, you know, asking everybody on Slack and calling them and texting them and, you know, all the yeah. things, right? Like, like, yeah. can you actually see what's happening? And then um, it's about creating baselines, right? Because it's really difficult to effectively say, 
um, this is amazing or this sucks when it comes to outcomes and deliverables. Um, if, mm. if we're not creating baselines and we don't know where people are at, right? Like yeah. um, actually understanding what that is for ourselves. If you're at the beginnings of delegation or under a, understanding what is that for your team leads, if they're delegating, right? Um, so, so we want to be able to create baselines. Um, mm. And then it's, it's about amplifying how you're doing it. Right. Yeah, so, okay. so how do we make things more, more efficient, more productive? And you don't have to do this all yourself, right? Like, like I, mm. I think that it is, it is super imperative that the people in your organization um, help to create process and help to create systems and help to create um, these mechanisms because in doing so, they will start to own the process and a byproduct of that is going to be great leadership. It, right. Do you see that as the biggest hindrance? Is it of sort what? of lack of processes and lack of... Absolutely. Yeah. Right? Because so many people are in the weeds because they're doing it all. Yeah, right? yeah. Right? Um, and, and doing it all, like, even if you've delegated a ton and you've been in business for 20 years, um, mm. you know, sometimes it's like you're still holding on to, like, account management or you're still holding on to strategy. Yeah. Right? So being able to to amplify how you do these things, right, which is with documentation um, and implementation, um, right, we'll, and, and using tools for collaboration is, is really going to make it so much easier. So mm. you don't have to do this, right? And, and we go back to that whole like bit about trusting the system, right, mm. so that you can trust your outcomes. So basically to, I guess, my attempt to encapsulate what we've spoken about so far is that Culture is imperative and it needs to be sort of built off the values, the mm -hmm. values of, of what are wanted in that business and the hiring process to make sure that it's hire slow, fire fast. Mm -hmm. So when we're hiring slow, we're making sure that those individuals coming through are aligned with the values of the business and ultimately the culture of the business. And then it's important, obviously, to ensure that the culture is practiced sort of through every day. And you, you mentioned... Um, you know, even just around for as an example, sustainability. If you want to demonstrate the sustainability, that's a value held by the business and the owners. Then it's a matter of, I guess, watching or monitoring how much paper usage there is, or how much environmentally friendly activities going on in the business. So culture is a big part in in aligning that with the values, processes, and systems. Mm -hmm. That's obviously imperative. And is and you mentioned something just to, just in passing it was a little bit but a little bit about mindset. So, mindset is potentially a handbrake to breaking through some of those traditional barriers of a million or seven million. Is a little mm -hmm. bit of a belief factor, or is it just a control thing? What what do you see there? I think it's a, it's a mishmash of everything. Yeah. Okay. Right. And so and and that's why like the fourth pillar of the scale framework, which is like lead and delegate, yeah. you actually yeah. have to lead, right? And so in order to be able to scale and and be able to get to the last piece of it, which is like exit and oversee, um, you can't exit before leading. And I mean, you can, you can peace out, but then everything's going to fall into crumbles, right? Like, That's I an mean, example of you leave the house, come back if the kids destroyed it or not. Exactly, <laughs> right? And so, so, so in order to be able to lead and delegate, um, you have to work out your inner crap to lead. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, you know, your own ownership, your own integrity, your own yeah, yeah. consistency. Yeah, um, yeah. your own willingness to to not have that take home and sacrifice so that you can reinvest yeah. in the business because like if you are gonna make it past a million and and you are gonna do those things, it, it's usually not about 
it's usually about creating a bigger impact or creating a bigger result or having a higher outcome in the world. Yeah. Right. Um, it's, it's about the people you employ in your team. Um, and so your leadership is going to be really important in terms of you being able to delegate because those two things are going to go hand in hand. All right. So what are three, three most important pieces of advice you could have for people wanting to scale their business? I think definitely focus on your systems and processes. Yep. Right. And, and we have a, a scale map that I'm happy to put into the show notes that you guys can do for free if you want that. Um, and that's going to be able to see what's going on in your systems and processes yeah, okay. um, to be able to find out where the gaps are. Um, it's a 20 minute assessment. Um, I always tell everybody if, if it's taking you longer than that, you're having feelings about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, and that's not welcome um, in this part of the process obviously <laughs> yes um so so you guys are free to do that um you know oh, on, on you. us and and we'll give you um you know a com complimentary kind of report oh, awesome. um out of that so you have like a real visibility into what's going on so i think that's really important i think the other thing that's really important is to fail fast um, and, and fail where there's um, lower risk, right? So, so really being able to take risks when, when the opportunity costs are lower, right? So, you know, if, yeah, okay. right? Like, so an example of this is writing emails, right? Like, like if you're doing content yeah. marketing, just, just yeah. a really simple example of this, right? Experiment all the things that you have before you get to like 10,000 subscribers, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes people are like, oh man, I'm so afraid to send out this email, da, da, da. They have like 150 subscribers. I'm like, send it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> That's actually <laughs> like, a saying in Australia, just fully send it. I don't know if it's over there or not. Yeah, like just send it, right? Like, um, because what's the worst that can happen? I don't know, you have a spelling mistake, who cares, you're human, right? Like, well, at the um, very least, maybe send it out to 10 of the clients you have the best relationship with and ask them for feedback. Like, yeah. You know, something like that, I, yeah. Yeah. You know, but even so, it's like we spend so much time thinking about things, yeah, um, instead of doing the things. Um, and overanalyze, over we end up, you know, paralysis yeah. by analysis, yeah, yeah, analysis paralysis, perfection paralysis. Like, there's just yeah. so much paralysis, right? Um, yeah. and yeah. and I kind of couple everything to thoughting. I'm like, you're thoughting about it. <laughs> That's a funny concept, thoughting. Stop <laughs> like thoughting. You're, you're thoughting, right? <laughs> what Way are you too doing? much thoughting, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like, you know, three hours later, you haven't sent the email. What are you doing? I'm thoughting. I'm super busy. <laughs> right? like, so, I'm still thinking about what's right. How can I get it perfect? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, like, fail and fail fast, right? Like, like yeah. get real uncomfortable with failure. Um, yeah. Like make failure like your your entrepreneurial best friend. Well, that's actually um, where the biggest learnings come from. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Right. And yeah. and there's been um and it's funny, right? Because sometimes, like you'll do something and you're like, oh shit, I messed that up, and then it actually really works <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. And and the thing is, like, you would have never done it, right? Because it was so outside of your scope. And then yeah. you're like, oh man, like I should keep <laughs> doing that, <laughs> right? And you're yeah. like. And then like it gives you that sort of bit of inspiration. You go, oh, it wasn't so bad after all. It worked. And it gives you a little bit more energy to then push ahead. Yeah. Absolutely. And and yeah. sometimes it's just brilliant. You're like, oh, wow. Okay, yeah. cool. Like, I didn't know I had that I mean, genius in me. <laughs> like, I didn't know, right? And so, so I think that's a big deal. Um, and then also surround yourself 
um, with people who do share your values. And, you know, whether that's employees, whether that's masterminds, whether that's team members, like, you know, really make your decisions and your conversations around your value set, because you're going to feel good. Um, and, and you're going to be inspired and you're going to be motivated. Mm -hmm. It's going to catalyst you to do things, um, that you hadn't thought you could even do before. Yeah. And if they've got the, the same mindset as you, then it's going, they're going to help you grow whether, and not just in the numbers, but it's just grow generally as a person, as a leader, as a manager, whatever role it is that you're actually fulfilling the right sort of people around you. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. And that goes to stand too with the, um, the staff, as you touched on, mm-hmm. like you yeah. said. Yeah, I think it's really, really good. Now, Juliana, you've been a wealth of information. I know there's plenty more there in your <laughs> brain to share. I really appreciate you being on. How And I love the fact, too, thank you so much for that gift for any of our listeners to do the scale map. I think that's going to be an awesome little gift. So thank you so much. How will our listeners find you, get hold of your content, and, and how you might be able to help? Yeah, absolutely. So um, definitely go to our website, um, scaletime.co. In there, we talk about our framework. We have free tools. We've got tons of downloads. Um, If you're looking for help with processes around like client onboarding, hiring. Oh, cool. um, Yeah. Okay. And everything like that. Um, I think that'd be one of the hardest ones. Like the fear in hiring someone is sort of what we touched on, which is oh crap, are they actually going to be able to do the job? Are they like three, four months time and they're still going to be adding value to the business? Are they going to fit? So we people need a really, really good screening process there. So that'd be, mm-hmm. that's so good. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so so that's a really great place. And, you know, and I'm constantly putting out content on LinkedIn. So so definitely, you know, um, follow us there and, and sign up for the newsletter because we've got some, some fun um and and really interesting things that that are going to leave you in action when it comes to your organization and your operations yeah cool all right that's excellent there's a lot of content there there's a lot of information that people can use that can take away and actually use it straight away and i think if anything as much as those tools those free tools and will help i think it's imperative to get expert advice because it is a to make it a success, and it's not necessarily for everyone, but if, if you're really, really dedicated to making your business a success, it's getting the right advice for those who aren't just in the know, but more broadly, like someone like yourself, Juliana, you see so many different ways and almost different errors in doing business because you have something to do with so many different types of businesses. And that information in itself is invaluable. You can share what works and what doesn't with business owners through what you've seen and all the other businesses that are going on. So that's really, really cool. So there's heaps of content on scaletime.co that you can get hold of, Juliana's LinkedIn page, and also reach out for advice. I think it's probably a good way to sum it up. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much again for being on, Juliana. I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you so much, Kai. I'd love to be here. Thank you for listening to It's More Than Money. This podcast has been recorded and produced at Brisbane Podcasting Centre. Before we go, don't forget to click on the subscribe button for this podcast and wherever you listen to it, give it a rating as well. If you'd like to find out more, you can always go to our website, parentfg.com, or you can find us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Please leave a suggestion for a future topic if you wish. Either way, we'd love to hear from you, so let us know your thoughts. We'll have another episode soon. Thanks for listening to It's More Than Money. Take care. We'll catch you next time.